This is the Cheryl Reeves Show. Uh, we should probably have a subtitle saying, and a Sylvia Fowles Appreciation Show, because every week we have something new to talk about in terms of Sylvia Fowles. This is TalkNorth.com. Thank you for listening. Thanks to our producer, Brandon Morton. Cheryl, Sylvia Fowles, first team, all WNBA defense. Uh, any thoughts on that honor and the first team in general? Well, it makes me think of death, taxes, and <laughs> Sylvia Fowles, uh, first team all defense. <laughs> so, it's just what it, every every single uh, season, um, and I think any any day that you spend with Syl, if you're around her basketball wise, she has always tremendously valued uh, the defensive end of the floor. Um, she would get mad at me at sometimes at practice that we're not doing enough defense. Hmm. Uh, she was a little That's more rare. alone. Yeah, it was a little more alone in that mindset. She'd come in and knock on the door. Are we doing defense today or what? Like we haven't done defense. You know, we're being training camp, and you know, I'm like, well. Offense is a lot harder than defense. You know, we'll get to it. You know, but uh, but looking back on our defensive season, still was probably right. So, <laughs> but uh, but in general, we've been a very very good defensive team uh, over the last you know since you know first for sure you know, over the last decade. So you win championships, uh, but particularly when you know with with still um, kind of anchoring the middle, uh, she just gives you a whole other element. And uh, Syl will tell you if you if she were on right now, she'd be talking about. Uh, where that came from and so for Syl it was playing with her her brothers kind of in pickup games and they didn't they didn't want her to play offense they said your job is defense so (laughs) yeah so she's thankful now Uh, I'm sure she wasn't so thankful then uh, at the time but uh, but but that's that that's her passion and she was tremendous at it no doubt about it Uh, let's get I want to ask you a few more questions about that Uh, we want to recommend subscribing to this show on your favorite podcast app uh, or any shows at talknorth.com that you're interested in. It's free. It's just the easiest way to listen. You can also follow us on Twitter at TalkNorthPod. See the shows as they are released. Or always just go to the website, talknorth.com. Check out all the outdoor content, the best sports lineup in town, and our variety shows. We've added uh, people like Mike Grimm and Dave Lee. Uh, and we have a million hockey shows. We have two Viking shows. Check it all out. We do appreciate it. So you, you know, I, do, I, I know what you're saying, but it's interesting to hear you say that offense is harder than defense can you elaborate on that yeah it always has been uh you know scoring the ball uh and then just you know your your movements um kind of together collectively um you know gosh is it a little bit like you know individual offense a little bit like dancing like like you know everyone is just so unique right and what they how they go about it and what they (laughs) <laughs> what they value. I don't, I've never seen you dance, Jim, but I know it's very different probably than Brandon. Uh, you, would, you would conclude that dancing is very <laughs> difficult if you saw me dance. Well, see, there you go. <laughs> so, uh, but I think in terms of uh, offense, the difficulty is the skill set. So defense, I, I think it's more a product of that defense is considerably easier uh, in terms of the talent that it takes. Uh, meaning, you know, at the core of being a great defender is this will. Uh, so it's intangible. It's not necessarily now, on offense, shooting the ball, passing the ball, timing, you know, that sort of thing, that's a hell of a lot harder than understanding you got to sprint, uh, you know, to, to slide into position, to play on an angle, um, you know, to be great defensively. It's, it's, uh, it's a want-to. You know, it's a will. Everybody wants to play offense. That's the thing. You know, defense is, is harder work. Uh, but, you know, in terms of the offensive side of it, we spend more time on offense. I learned that, you know, many, many years ago as a young, young coach. Um, you know, it just, it, it stood to reason that, you know, you have an entire practice. If you spend, you know, 60, 65% of your time on defense, you're going to be a very poor offensive team. You'll be a very good defensive team. And there's more than one way to be successful. 
Um, I believe it's the balance of both and it can't be 50, 50 offense and defense. It's gotta be greater, you know, whether it's 65, 35, 60, 40, you could kind of debate, uh, but it has to be, yeah. Cause it just requires so much more, um, in terms of, you know, teaching and skills and, um, you know, just you know, all the different abilities. And, and, uh, so no question about it. Offense is, is much harder. I've had football coaches tell me that for the offense to function, all 11 players have to be on the same page. For the defense to function, one person has to make a great play. That's well said. That's well said. Uh, Thanks to our sponsors, Livia, Rudy Luther Toyota, Cara Quinn, Successful Marketing Group, All Energy Solar, and TSR Injury Law. Appreciate all of them sponsoring the Cheryl Reef Show and TalkNorth.com. Any thoughts on... I don't know. Do you have any? I don't know if you want to get into this realm. But do you want any second guesses? Anybody you would have liked to see on the first or second team that didn't make it? No, I think those things are they're hard in that um, the coaches no longer vote for those things because we vote very very differently, which is I think what led to um, I think the the change where now it's all um, the the media et cetera that makes these choices that. Um, because it's a little bit subjective. I think immediately media goes to data statistics mm-hmm. as coaches. We go to who is it hard to game plan against? So if I'm trying to make an entry pass, I don't want to go against Alyssa Thomas or I don't want to put, I can't put my four player in a ball screen because Alyssa Thomas is going to jump out and, and hedge and be very, very disruptive. Um, and so Alyssa Thomas, you know, clearly is considered widely, uh, one of the best defenders, but if you can take that on a smaller scale and, and apply it to some perimeter players, post players that coaches kind of view it, um, you might get some different answers, uh, with regard to that. But I think by and large, there, I don't have any, I don't have any real issues. Uh, I always think there are players that are left off that are good defenders, but there's only room for, you know, for 10 of them. Right. And, and Asia Wilson, first in the league in blocks, second in the league in defensive rebounds, obviously plays on a very good team. Uh, I don't, you know, I have no idea if she's a great defender, if she just, you know, does well in those categories, but you've coached her. Uh, what, what's your assessment of her overall as a defensive player? I really, I really like her defensively. Um, I do like her ability to, to, to shot block, you know, to have that protection at the rim. I think she's hard to play against. Uh, in my experience, the you know, asking her to get out and deny somebody and, and, and be impactful that way. Very willing, very capable. Uh, rebounding, so important. Shot blocking. Um, you know, and I, I think her team, uh, you know, she's made her team uh, a much better defensive team for sure. Uh, but they have not reached the level that I think is necessary uh, to, you know, to kind of have that balance. of. They certainly have great offense. Uh, but their defense is, I think, you know, pretty far behind. And I, you can hear Becky, you know, imploring them to, you know, to, to really commit to that end. Uh, but Asia, no question about it, uh, is the reason why their defense is at least where it is. And Brianna Stewart, we all know her, is a great offensive player. The offensive skills are very obvious. How do you assess her as a defender? Uh, she has such great length. Um, you know, I think it depends on which position she's defending. Um, you know, but I think her agility, her like all the things that make her great on offense, you know, it's that rare combination, um, you know, her length, her timing, uh, her want to, you know, no question about it. She's hard to play against. Uh, Jackie Young is the most improved player. Uh, of course she played in the three and three tournament in Tokyo and, uh, has been a part of the, uh, the aces going forward. Is any thoughts on her getting that award? Well, I mean, there's, there were a number of players that improved and that was, that was great for for those players to see. And, and, and I think for Jackie, uh, it was so striking, I think, as we started the season that she put herself way out in front, uh, you know, as, as the candidate and never, never lost the lead, so to speak with this award, because she, 
Um, and I don't, I, I think when I, when I read about her success, uh, Jackie was as good as she is, um, without the three ball, um, that, that like last year, the year before she's very physical, very well conditioned, very, very good off the bounce, like terrific. I think she's just gotten a year older, more confident. Uh, and then the single biggest reason I believe why, uh, she was able to increase her scoring total. Uh, was that she went from a non-shooting uh, guard where you didn't guard her. Like it got to the playoffs, you just didn't guard her. You didn't go near her. And that's that's pretty difficult, right, to to have a player on the team like that. And so in one season, she was able to now shoot, I think she shot 43% from three, uh, making a subtle adjustment. You know, there there's a photo of Jackie, you know, prior to her si- simple adjustment of kind of her hand as she would shoot, like her elbow was sort of bent across her face. And that simple adjustment of just getting that hand off of your face and, and getting it better aligned made her a 43% shooter. Now, will she shoot that for her career? I don't know. That would be awfully impressive if she does. Uh, all I know is she had a hell of a season and she was very deserving of most improved player. In your experience, how hard is it for somebody to change the mechanics and cement that change well enough to actually perform under pressure? I, I think it's very difficult. Um, yeah. Now, I think the climate, the climate that uh, she was in, uh, which was, Everybody shoot threes like it was a must and you're not going to see the floor, you know, or you'll see the floor more, um, you know, like if you if you can shoot the three and then that's that's the environment climate that they were in. So it was definitely there wasn't pressure on her. I think anyone can kind of like feel free to, you know, feel free to shoot, obviously, you know, as a person you know that's doing it. Uh, if you don't have as much much success, you'll turn it down more. Uh, but for her, I think it was a matter of making that simple adjustment, gaining confidence. And when you see early in the season, you see your shots go down, it does build momentum and it builds confidence. And so I think she kind of rode that wave of confidence. Um, and it, it is hard to do, very hard to do. And, you know, like it was uh, one of those things you're still, you're, you're saying to, you know, in the, if you hadn't played her and it's your turn to play her, you're going, well, she didn't have to prove it to us. We don't believe it. Well, very, very quickly, she made she put on everyone on notice that if you didn't guard it from there, that she was going to light you up, and and uh, that was awfully impressive. I did a piece in the Star Tribune this week about uh, Twins managers arguing with umpires, their different philosophies, and some funny stuff from Rocco Baldelli. I'm going to ask Cheryl what her philosophy on arguing with uh, officials is. First, though, let's hear from Cheryl about Livia. Well, Olivia's uh, they've got a tall order. They've got a they've got to help me through a, a month of being on the road. Uh, yeah. So I'm excited. My my uh, my meeting coming up with my coach Connie. Uh, we're going to sit down and map out a plan to you know kind of make sure we're able to communicate because accountability has been such a big part of this. Uh, I've got to make sure that you know though it's remote that we can still you know stay on on track. So I'm excited to to map out that plan and I'm, I'm determined to come back, uh, you know, a success story and, and, you know, coaches need their players to make them look good. And I want to make sure I can do that for Connie. <laughs> so thanks to Olivia. Thanks also to Rudy Luther Toyota. I don't know why I have trouble saying Rudy Luther. So I'm going to say it again. Rudy Luther Toyota. Ready for a women forward car dealership? Rudy Luther Toyota empowers their many women on staff in sales, management, and service. Whether you are looking for a new Toyota or pre-owned vehicle, Rudy Luther Toyota has something for everyone. Every vehicle comes with a Luther Advantage. 10 cents off fuel and car wash discounts at holiday stations, Luther Advantage warranty, and five-day return policy on pre-owned vehicles. Located just five minutes west of downtown Minneapolis, off 394 and General Mills Boulevard. And they're also hiring. 
Want to join the team but don't know where to start? Visit RudyLutherToyota.com today. Uh, thanks also to Lori Ramsey of Successful Marketing Group. Uh, Successful Marketing Group has created and manages all the social media for the Cheryl Reeve Show. If you're looking for social media for your business, I would highly recommend you contact her at Glory at SuccessfulMarketingGroup.com. Thanks, as always, to Glory for all the work she puts in on the show and the social media. So what, do you have a philosophy about uh, arguing and, and discussing things with uh, officials during games, or is it more just reactionary? Uh, I, I think I, I, I agree with your change of a word. I, I don't go into anything thinking argument. I, I go into it with a discussion. Um, it's typically for me reactionary. Um, if if I see a, a misapplication of a, of a rule or, or a lack of an application of a rule, uh, it's mostly wanting for, for me. And I think the hard part, I think for me and my personality is uh, I tend to come out with a bark, you know, as opposed to uh, you know, kind of a casual conversation, but to be really honest with you, they don't respond to casual conversations. They think you're not pissed. Mm -hmm. Uh, so you kind of gotta, you know, you gotta let them know, you know, like, like that was unacceptable and, and like, let's talk about it. And, and so, yeah, I really, I, I don't enjoy, uh, that part of it. I, I really, I really wish we could just rely on, you know, officials to, to, to make all the right calls, but it's just not realistic. And, um, I do think it's important um, for officials to know that you're paying attention and that you understand the rules um, because otherwise they, you know, I think there's, there's a little bit of slippage that happens on their, their side. So um, I don't have, uh, you know, I probably have some stories I probably can't tell, <laughs> oh, go ahead. Uh, you know, <laughs> uh, you know um, I, I actually, I can't think of the last time I got a technical because I used bad language. Um, that was early that, on that's in my so career. disappointing. Isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And, and, uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I, uh, I guess it's really just my, my tone or my um, demonstrative. That's the Italian in me. Uh, but it's, uh, you know, it's, it's not appreciated apparently. Um, but, uh, actually right on, right on uh point, we received information from our, our, uh, links basketball analytic an analyst, Paul Swanson with regard to technical fouls. Um, and I'm nowhere near the top. I don't lead the league. I'm nowhere even close uh, and, uh, to technical fouls. I'd have to go back and look at our, uh, our our history there, and and maybe I'm slacking off, and maybe I need to get a little more a little more involved. And I'd love to kind of uh, catch up with Rocco and and hear his philosophy. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because I you know first big league manager I covered as a beat writer is Tom Kelly, and he won two World Series, and he was really a savant in terms of strategy. And he did not believe in arguing with umpires. He thought it would just backfire on you eventually. And Rocco started off his career really not arguing much. Now he's kind of cut loose a I've little bit this year. Yeah. And it's, yeah. and it's kind of, it's fun. It's kind of funny, it, especially because he generally tries to be reserved. I also think it, it's a reflection of him feeling really invested in this group and wanting them yeah. to see him out there. They're fighting them, him fighting for them. Yeah. Yeah, I certainly understand that that that, that perspective, and that's usually where my, um, I, I guess maybe when I'm getting sideways, it's usually in in wanting players to know that I don't I don't want them to focus on officials so much like you talked about with Tom Kelly that uh, I don't want the players I don't want them to stop and talk I don't want I want them to go on to the next play I want them to know that I'm going to do the dirty work for them I'm going to be the one that uh, because nothing that they're going to say much like Coach Kelly said there's nothing that they're going to say that's going to change it. Uh, you could certainly explain your position, but there's, there's a time and a place. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, we have probably had 
at least one player, you know, that probably spent a little too much time on that. And I, I do think it detracts from your ability to, you know, be successful in the next possession. So, um, you know, maybe a little bit of both. You know, I think the investment part is so important. Uh, players will tell you, you know, they, they do not want a coach that's just sitting there and, and you feel like you're getting worked. You know, you feel like maybe the other coach is doing a little bit more. And I have seen that. I have seen a reaction to my getting after an official. I will see another coach who doesn't typically. Well, then it's a little bit like Bill Lambeer. Bill Lambeer would, would be intimidating. He'd stand up. He'd have this stature. And he'd, and the appearance was that he was working them and he was winning. And so when, when you were going against him, you couldn't let them. You could not let him have an upper hand. Uh, and I see that a little bit you know, at times with, with me that there are some other coaches that maybe it's not their style that they feel like they have to. Uh, or you know, I see it in the college game. You know, I see one coach that you know, maybe is after a little bit more consistently and then, and then a coach that was not. But then when they're playing each other, you see that coach go, oh, no, I got I to gotta protect my team and get in there on this. So it's fascinating. Uh, it, it's draining. And you really prefer not have to do that and you know, keep your keep your money in your in your pocketbook would be preferred. I think what would be a great project for a statistician and analyst would be how do teams perform after their coach gets to technical? Because it might be a, there might be a payoff there. Yeah, there there are. I mean, I think there's a. It could be a myth. I'm not sure, Jim. Like like you said, I, I would love a statistic. It would be easy to find. That would not be hard to do. Um, I'll have to see if we have some time for that this off season and produce something for you. <laughs> Good. Well, if you do, we'll, we'll talk about it on the show. Uh, one more big picture question on this topic. Watching all the professional sports that I do, sometimes I do wonder if the job is just not, it's not possible for a, a human being to do it as well as we all want them to do it. It's like you have large bodies moving quick. You have a million rules. You have, you know, and in basketball, yeah. you know, at, at one part of the court, a touch is a foul. Another part of the court, you can hit each other with elbows. Nobody's yeah. going to say anything. Yeah. I, I just don't know if, if it's possible for that many people to really do the job that well. Oh, there's no, there's no question about it. And it's so subjective. Yeah. Um, even though it shouldn't be, there are very clear, but it's subjective about whether, you know, whatever that rule is actually happened. So the subjectivity and it varies by obviously there, there are people, right? So there's the, there's the human error part of it, which we all know, but I think it's also personality driven as well. Um, and it's, it's a uh, matter of fact, on that same list that, that Swanee shared with us was a list of officials who has, who has uh, blown the most technicals uh, mm-hmm. in the league. And, and that's fascinating to look at. Uh, it tends to be the more veteran ones because they're a little more secure in what they're doing. The younger ones new to the league, they're a little less, uh, they're a little more apprehensive uh, I think to uh, to do that, which is which is really interesting, can't be true in all cases. We've got a couple of veterans that just run up and down. You can you can say whatever you want to them. You just run up and down. That it doesn't phase them. I'm, I'm not sure I like that very much. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, because uh, it's like you know, like are you here? Like are you invested in this at all? <laughs> you know, uh, like say like you know how like you say something, just try to get a reaction out of them. You know, because you're not you're not hearing from them. So um i i don't think official we have a few of them and and they'll be the ones that are officiating deep into the, the playoffs that um just just refuse to communicate and you know it, it's as if they're doing their job and i, I just don't think that's effective I, I do think it's like anything you know communication if a referee turns to me and says cheryl i screwed that up i stop i i'm done i yep. i appreciate that now i could be really disappointed and, and rate them lower in, in my rankings because i think that they should have been able to you know, get the call right. Uh, but at the moment of the game, you know, but when you're, you know, steadfast that something didn't happen and you go look at it at halftime and you go come back out and go, shit, you were right, Cheryl, that happened. That's frustrating. 
you know, that's really frustrating. But at the same time, you know, you, you like when they, when they can kind of go and it, you know, the worst is, I mean, for an official, and I know that Sue Blau knows this, like all of us coaches, I didn't see it. That's not mm-hmm. what I had, you know, that sort of thing, you know, a little more detail. Cause we're all very capable of understanding, uh, you know, you have referee lingo, um, but I think that there's, you know, it's not that hard, you know, Hey, that I wasn't a legal defender because, you know, whatever it was like, like we can handle that. Go ahead and share that with us. You know, you don't have to have, uh, like this complicated jargon, you know, probably my favorite one is the A to B rule, you know, where a defender going A to B or offense card going A to B, uh, if you impact their ability to go A to B. And I tell you what, I lost my mind one. <laughs> <laughs> in 2020 in the bubble, I lost my mind and uh, expletives. I said, "You're f your A to B." <laughs> I just, I, it was, it, I just. So for me, A to B always brings up, you know, like, like I, I, it brings a chuckle to me because I had lost, I had was done with the concept of A to B because it was officiated differently. <laughs> uh, but that's that's my, uh, you know, I guess that's my my rant about officiating. It's I'll so probably funny get fined for doing this, but <laughs> yeah, the, the twins kidding. have had a lot of dramatic victories this year. They've had a lot of really cool individual uh, superlatives and all that. But my favorite part of the season was Rocco uh, when Rocco at you know there's a play at the play disagreed with the ruling and the way the rule is being interpreted. And when he turned and he dropped an f bomb uh, toward <laughs> the press box, which he intended to get back to the people who were reviewing the you know the the film in New York, <laughs> and then he like. Through another, it was like he was trying to make sure he was using the f bomb to everybody who deserved it, and it took him a while. And I really appreciated the <laughs> dedication. Yeah, <laughs> it takes a lot out of you. I, I'm sure he Rocco would probably prefer not have to do that. <laughs> yes, yes, no doubt about it. You know, Cara Quinn as my realtor. She just sold my house and did a great job doing it and made it all very pleasant. Uh, she now is running or transitioning to a new business. Set to Coley is a family-owned Twin Cities-based home remodeling, real estate, and property management company offering personalized service and outstanding client care. Seti Coley means seven hills, a nod to the seven hills of Rome, Italy. Services they provide, home remodeling, carrying out a high-quality residential kit, kitchen, bathroom, basement remodels, and other home improvement projects, realtor services, helping buyers navigate today's challenging real estate market, property management, offering full service management of rental properties for new and experienced real estate investors. And they offer all kinds of wraparound services. In other words, this is one-stop shopping if you want to remodel, remake, sell your home. Thanks once again to Car for everything she's done for me. Uh, we would also like to tell you, allenergysolar.com, longtime sponsor of the podcast, Uh, We've been telling you about the benefits of solar energy for a long time. We also want to remind you that solar as a home improvement project is a really good idea. Uh, When considering property upgrades for home or business, solar should be under consideration. Uh, Most home improvement projects don't pay for themselves to the property sold. Solar pays back regardless of property sale. Most systems are warranted for 25 to 30 years. After 30 years of operation, solar could have paid back 300 to 400% of the cost. It will boost your resale value. Uh, Installing solar panels is viewed as an upgrade. Buyers consider electric bills when buying a home. Average increase in resale values, about $4,000 to $6,000 for each one kilowatt of power. Homes with solar often sell faster than those without and you get a 100% return on solar investment upon your home sale. Go to allenergysolar.com and see what kind of a deal they can provide you. 
uh, you know, some topics for uh, future shows here. I want to talk about Serena Williams and, uh, you know, so, uh, a handful of great uh, women athletes who are going to be leaving the stage here fairly soon. We'll talk about Whalen going into the Hall of Fame. I'm going to be meeting with Lindsay very soon to talk about that as well. We'll talk about, you know, if you're getting actually getting anything, any real time off or doing anything fun. For today, uh, just if you don't mind, uh, offer me some thoughts on the second round as we speak here today. Connecticut's up over Chicago by a game. Seattle's up over Las Vegas for a game. And by the way, thanks again to Livia, Rudy through Toyota, Cara Quinn, Successful Marketing Group, All Energy Solar, TSR Injury Law, and our producer, Brandon Morton. And thank you for listening to TalkNorth.com. What are your thoughts on the, the playoffs as they stand today? Well, um, this Seattle-Vegas uh, series could very well uh, be as good as, uh, you know, maybe what the finals uh, should be. I think this is going five games. Uh, I know that that Seattle won in Vegas. Vegas will absolutely 1,000% respond, uh, and they will win their home game, and then they'll have to go back to Seattle I do think Vegas can get one in there in, in Seattle, which is hard to do, but I think they can. Uh, and I think that uh, that goes five games. That's going to be an incredible series. Uh, so I have Vegas uh, winning the, at home uh, tomorrow night. And then the Connecticut-Chicago game, much uh, similarly, uh, I think that, uh, you know, when the home team loses, you know, losing that game one is, 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 is uh, that's the best game to get when you're on the road and you're starting a series. Game one is, quote, the easiest one to get. Uh, it should, there's no question Chicago uh, will respond and you know but connecticut is awfully good defensively i mean they're really they're very hard to play against their, their physical presence their will it's all spearheaded by Alyssa thomas who i just think is so difficult to play against and uh they feed off of her and that's that's their identity um so i think for chicago though um, now they had beaten connecticut uh so i'm not surprised at all to see connecticut get a win uh, it's hard to beat a team over and over again and i think um chicago will win uh their their second home game um, so I have the home teams winning tomorrow, and uh, I'm not sure that the Chicago Con uh, series goes to five games, but I, I, I would be surprised if Seattle Vegas did not go to five games. Yeah, the, uh, Seattle. I mean, they're both good series, but Seattle Vegas is really intriguing to me, especially Stewart against uh, against Wilson. Okay, great stuff. We'll uh, we'll catch up next week. We'll talk more about Whalen going into the Hall of Fame. Thanks to Cheryl. Thanks to Brandon, and thanks for listening to TalkNorth.com.